It was Moses who led them through the Red Sea on dry ground. The Israelites saw all these amazing things as they were led by Moses. They saw pillars of cloud and pillars of fire. They saw manna falling from the heavens, water bursting forth from rocks. They saw all of these incredible things. So with the death of Moses and all the Exodus generation dead but Caleb and Joshua, the people of God stand on the cusp of a great transition. They stand on the cusp of entering the long-awaited promised land. Yet while there is great expectations, there are also many unknowns. Likewise, our lives seem to always be in transition, that whenever we get comfortable, life changes. So maybe you're new to the area. Maybe you've just started a new job. Maybe your new parents are about to be. Maybe, uh, may, maybe perhaps to your great shock, you're now the parents of teenagers. Um, yes, as we face both unknowns and also great expectations, the question then in those moments, in those moments when we're, when we're facing life's transitions, is when we're embarking into the great unknown, is what is the Lord's provision for his people in transition? Well, from our text this morning, I want us to see four things that the Lord faithfully provides for his people in transition. The first thing that I want us to see is that God faithfully provides his people with purpose. Look with me, if you will, to verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross over the Jordan and into the land. So what I want us to see here is the potentially difficult, but at the end of the day, the rather ordinary purpose that God just gave Joshua here. He is to lead the people across the Jordan River into the land. Now to be sure, depending upon the season, the Jordan isn't always the easiest river to cross. But the point remains, this is not some ethereal philosophical calling on Joshua's life. No, this is very tangible. This is very real. A calling that will require him to be diligent, to be faithful, to work with people, to be hardworking and to be prepared. Yet amidst the ordinary, God is doing something quite extraordinary. That God would include Joshua, the son of Nun, the son of a slave, in his greater purposes greater purposes that are ultimately uh, consumed with the glory of God and the spread of his kingdom. So what's the point for, for us? That like Joshua, God gives greater meaning and purpose to our lives and stories. And that God will use the ordinary task for his extraordinary purposes. Now you might be thinking, that's great and all for Joshua, but I'm not Joshua. His calling is bigger than mine. Well, I would say this to you. Joshua was called to go into the land while we are called by Jesus to go into the world and make disciples. Well, how do we go into the world? Do we need to rack up uh, sky miles? Do we, do, we, do we need to, those frequent fire miles, is that what we're called to do? Well, maybe. But, but, but perhaps... Part of your going into the world means going to your job. 
um, So it means that seeing God's purposeful intentionality at work in your life, that God has you where he has you for a reason and for a purpose, that you are, have been purposed by God to be an ambassador, to be his ambassador at your places of work, in your homes, at the gym, at the playgrounds, at your schools. You see, God continues to do ordinary, to, continues to use uh, ordinary tasks to bring about extraordinary things. The struggle is that as we face life's transitions, we can get so bogged down in life's learning curve that we can quickly lose sight of how our story is a part of God's bigger story. Well, I'm no musical aficionado, but a few years ago, a band called Coldplay came out with a song, and uh, there's been one aspect of that song that has since fascinated me. You see, whenever this song comes to its chorus... Underneath the violins and the guitars and the lyrics, the drums and all the other instruments is this random bell that keeps ringing. And that ringing basically drives the beat, the downbeat of the chorus. But to be honest, the first 20, 30, 40 times I listened to the song, I never heard the bell. It wasn't actually until a friend pointed it out to me that I even was able to hear it. But now, whenever that song comes on, I can't help but hear the bell. Well, brothers and sisters, underneath all the noise of life, do you hear the bell of God's redemptive and greater purposes at work? Do you hear it ringing that despite the deafening cymbal crashes, the clashing gongs, the random accordion solos, do you hear the bell of redemption ringing, the bell of God's glory, the bell of God's kingdom ringing. This leads us to our second point, that God faithfully provides his people with his promises. Verses three to six. There's a phrase, as I promised, and this phrase will serve as a refrain throughout the book of Joshua. Because the book of Joshua sees the fulfillment of so many promises. Promises that God made with his people. Promises that God made with Abraham. Promises that Joshua was to feast his soul upon. Promises that were to be a sure and life-giving foundation for him as he leapt forward into the great unknown. But where is the value in promises? Because I'm pretty sure I make promises to myself all the time. I promised myself just the other day that I wouldn't eat that last donut. But it looks so lonely. And two of his friends were already in my belly, so might as well, right? So, but that's a humorous example, but there, there are tons of tragic examples that I promise that I won't hurt that person again. I promise that I won't lie to get ahead again. I promise that I won't do that ever, ever, ever again. But we sadly do. We, make, we break promises to ourselves all the time. Well, brothers and sisters, the value of promises is not in the promises themselves. The value of promises is in the one who gives the promise. And there's one thing in this uncertain world that we can bet the farm, that we can bet the whole of our lives upon, is the 
the promises of God. For God always, always, always keeps his promises. J.I. Packer once said that the stars may fall, but the promises of God will stand and be fulfilled. So what's so amazing about God's promises? Well, there's many things I, I could say here, but one of the adjectives that we sometimes use to describe God is boundless. That God is boundless, that he has no constraints, that he is subject to nothing, that he is Uh, that everything is subordinate to him, that nothing rules over him, not even time, not even space. And here's what's amazing, is that he who is boundless has bound himself to twerps and knuckleheads like you and me. That's amazing. And why? Because in his grace and his loving mercy and kindness, he loves us. He loves us. So why are God's promises so important for us to remember as we face life's transitions? Well, life is filled with many, many great unknowns. And when we face unknowns, there can be much to be afraid of. So in those fearful moments, we need to buoy our faith with the promises that God makes to his children that in the unknown, that we're able to double down on what we do know. And in God's wondrous grace, he has woven into his glorious and beautiful scripture, promise upon promise. So my question for me and my question for us all is, are we plundering God's word for his promises? Have you ever... uh, Try to drink a uh, Wendy's Frosty through a straw or a really thick milkshake and almost like blacked out trying to, trying, to, trying to drink it. That's what we should be doing with the word of God. Finding those promises and sucking every last drop so that we, we would taste and see that the Lord is good. This leads us to our third point, that God's faithful provision, which is a path to walk on. See, Joshua is about to embark upon a journey into a great unknown, and he's going to have to make difficult decisions. He's going to have to do hard things. So in those moments, how will he know what to do? Well, let's look at our texts and notice, if you will, how God describes his word, that Joshua is to be careful to do all according to the law, not turning from it to the right or to the left, that you might have good success. See, God's law and his precepts are being described here by God to Joshua as a path on which he was to walk. Because God, through his word, as the psalmist in Psalm 1611 says, God makes known to us the path of life. The path of life. For as we see in the Psalms, as we see in the book of Jeremiah, there are but two paths. The path to life and the path to death. That for Joshua, there will be paths that will look good to his eyes, but will ultimately destroy his soul. So in verse 7, 
God basically says, I want my word to run so deep within you that it courses through your veins, that scripture would seep out of your pores, that the divine fingerprints of God's scripture would be smudged all over your, your DNA. The question is why? Why is it so important for Joshua and for us to have God's word so deep within us? Because life in a fallen world is messy. It's hard. It's confusing. For our lives will be filled with difficult decisions, difficult decisions that, that need to be made in difficult situations, which is why God calls us to be meditating day and night upon his word so that as situations and questions arise, that the word of God would be percolating, would be bubbling up within our hearts. So what's percolating in your heart this morning? Is it the words of God, the words of life, the words of joy? Or is it something else entirely? See, Joshua, and likewise, you and I will have to navigate many difficulties in our lives. And the age-old question will be, what will we trust in more? Will we trust in what we see, or will we trust in what God says? Because if we can be honest with ourselves, our perspective is painfully limited. I had a friend of mine who once contracted Lyme disease um, because he had a, had a small tick on the small of his back. And from his perspective, it was just a mole or a freckle of some variety. See, our, our perspective is so small that, that we can't even be fully aware of what's happening on us. We can't even be fully aware of what's going on with us, much less what's going on in this cosmos. So this is why in verse 8, God calls him to meditate on the law day and night so that as it comes to decisions, that as he faces grave difficulties, that, as he's, that his thinking and his processing would be seasoned with a divine perspective. So he calls him to meditate on God's word day and night. And night, which means we need to be in the scriptures. Not because reading the Bible will somehow make God love us more. No, reading the Bible won't make God love you any more than he already does. But what it will do is help you to see and help you to understand more and more and more of the love that he has so graciously lavished upon you. Oh, but our lives are so busy. And who has the time, morning and evening, to be in the Word? Well, brothers and sisters, Joshua was a busy man. He was the leader of millions of people. He was the commander of an army of hundreds of thousands. And it's not despite of his crazy schedule, but because of his crazy schedule that he was to be in the Word night and day. This passage also speaks to us about the law of God. So how are we viewing God's law? David saw God's law like it was honey on his lips. To Joshua, it was a path to life. Yet so often in my own heart and in my own life, I see it as a burden. 
I see it as God just exposing me how far I fall short. Or we view it as God being the cosmic killjoy who just wants to control us and, and not, never allow us to have any fun. Well, fundamentally, in those moments, I think we misunderstand the law. We see the law as only that which condemns us. But what's the whole point of Romans 8? One, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who is in Christ Jesus. For the Christian, for the believer, the law of God can no longer condemn you. To be sure, it convicts you and calls you to repentance, but because Christ has already been condemned. He's been condemned for your breaches of the law, past, present, and future. That in your place condemned, he stood. So now freed from condemnation, the law now shows us the path to life and to life in abundance. This brings us to our final point. That through it all, God will faithfully provide his people with his presence. See this in verse 5 and verse 9. In verse 5, God tells Joshua that just as he was with Moses, so will he be with him. See, Joshua was Moses' assistant. He was his right-hand man. He was his shadow. He was likely mentored and discipled by Moses. And Moses would have told him about who he was before God showed up at the burning bush. That he was a murderer. That he was a coward. That when God called him, what did Moses say? I can't talk good. You can't possibly be calling me. And that raises an interesting theme that is found throughout all of the Bible. Is that God's presence changes people. It transforms people. It turns scaredy cats into lions of the faith. Likewise, Joshua is told that like God was with Moses, so too God will be with him wherever he goes. That whatever battle he faces, that God goes with him. And that God's presence God's promise of presence is is not contingent upon his feelings, not contingent on how close to God he felt in the moment. For God's presence was not based on Joshua's emotional estate, but upon God's promises. Because there are going to be times for Joshua and times for us when God will seem distant, when God seems far away. And our hope in that moment is that he has promised to be with us wherever we go. But hold your horses there, some of you might be saying. This promise is to Joshua, not to me. Well, quickly turn with me to Hebrews 13.5, which says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You see, the author of Hebrews quotes this same promise given to Joshua, like it is also a promise for you and for me. That as believers, that wherever we go, that the Lord is near to us, 
In fact, Christ in his ascension has done more than just give us his presence. But that from the right hand of the Father, he now sends Holy Spirit to us to not only be with us, but to dwell and take up residence, to abide in our hearts so that the Lord is with us wherever we go, even to the end of the age. So to bring this to a conclusion, in the first chapter of Joshua, there is this clarion call for him to be strong and courageous. And it's heard three times, which means it's really, really, really important. But it raises an interesting question. Why do you tell someone to be strong and courageous? Well, because likely they're about to face something that's going to make them feel weak and fearful. So then being strong is not a question about spiritual push-ups or pull-ups. And being courageous is not, not a question about how much false bravado he can muster up in the face of danger. No, the question is how can Joshua, how can we be strong and courageous as we embark into the great unknown? Simply put, Joshua is being commissioned to at all times look to the Lord and to his wondrous provision. Likewise, brothers and sisters, we are, we are to remember God's greatest provision for us, his one and only son, Jesus the Christ, who through his life, through his death, his resurrection and his ascension has provided for us redemption in his blood that we might know the forgiveness of our sins, that we might know life everlasting. My question for you this morning is do you know this most glorious provision? Do you know Jesus or do you just know of him? Because if you know him, And if you've experienced his grace and you know his many provisions for your life and for your godliness in response to this glorious abundance of life in Christ, we can truly be strong and courageous that as we stare into the face of a great transition, that on the cusp of a great unknown, that in Christ you and I can truly be strong and courageous. If you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word and that your word is truth, that your word is life, and that in your word is great hope. So, Father, I pray for the hopeless amongst us. Give them hope. Show them Jesus. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. It's in your name I pray. Amen.